Hello and welcome to Onboard and Sharing. Today we have a two-part episode with Sharon Marseille. We are super, super grateful that Sharon gave us so much time. We've had to split her wealth of knowledge over two episodes and we hope that you enjoy listening in on just the misconceptions about pregnancy and yeah just enjoy the episode and stay tuned for the second one coming soon (laughs) (laughs) okay cool so shall we start with the one okay yes one uh, misconceptions yes so Mm. let's start with someone falls pregnant and They obviously are wanting to eat, and most people sometimes think that you have to eat for two people mm. when pregnant. Is mm. that a yes or a no? <laughs> well, of course it's a no. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, there are so many avenues of nutritional awareness and value at the mm. moment. You can follow Patrick Holford. You can follow um, McKeith, Gillian McKeith, uh, Marianne Shearer. And everybody has a different way of educating us as to how to eat. Mm. There are so many diets at the moment, you know, the 5-2 diet, intermittent fasting, the banting, that everybody is eating a different way. And I think that what I teach is the responsibility of each family to explore, first of all, their eating habits. Because as a parent, you're going to be teaching the next generation about how to eat, what to eat, how to take care of your body. Um, Do you eat for comfort? Do you eat for life? Do you eat well? Do you eat because it's the cheapest way to eat? And you know, with everything going up at the moment, people are into quick fixes Mm. and, and cheap is good yeah Yeah. but if you're going to look at healthy living then you need to get fit for pregnancy first of all and you need to therefore evaluate your own diet Mm. how do i eat what do i know about a good diet how does eating make me feel Mm. do i eat for pleasure do i eat just because I'm hungry? Do I eat because it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon? And why do I eat? And what do I know about it? Mm-hmm. And I think when you are exploring how to teach the next generation, um, then you're going to get more value from how you eat. When we are cooking, when we get married for the first time, for the first time, hopefully for the only time, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get married, you tend to look through your menus that your mum has taught you. You're trying to think about what do we eat on Mondays, what do we eat on Tuesdays? Is it cottage pie? Is it shepherd's pie? Is it fish and chips? How often do we eat out? Can we afford to eat out now? And so when we're looking at do I need to eat for two, if you're looking at careful eating, then of course you want to explore the nutrients on your plate. Mm-hmm. Your baby is at some point a parasite you like totally reliant on what you are putting into your body Mm. do you need to eat extra volume no but you do need to look at your normal volume Mm. there you know the world is dying at the moment from obesity Mm. we overeat we have a pandemic of overeating 
because a lot of people comfort eat, because a lot of people are bored, because a lot of people are unemployed, because we've got a lot of psychological trauma in the world. Mm. So again, we need to reevaluate. And if we're only looking at amount of food, then of course you don't need to increase the amount of food that you're eating. You need to eat carefully, you need to eat wisely. You need to make sure that all the nutrients are going into your body, but in a way that your baby can absorb. Because again, the the quick solution to nutrients mm. is I'm just going to buy an antenatal um, supplement. Um, and very often those antenatal supplements are of a... Uh, a chemical compound format that is not absorbed Correct, effectively yeah, yeah. by the body. Definitely. And so you might be pouring calcium into your body or pouring iron mm. into your body, but you're not, your body's not absorbing it. And so you just got a problem trying to excrete it. Mm. So of course, if, and a lot of people think, well, now I'm pregnant, so I can double up on the cheesecake and I can have an extra slice of whatever because I'm eating for two. And of course, then she's going to ladle on all the weight and then she's going to have to lose it afterwards. And then we've got a, a great number of women who struggle after they've been pregnant to lose the weight that they put on. Mm. Everybody has a different idea as to how much a woman should put on mm. when she's pregnant. And it ranges from nine kilos to 13 kilos on average. If you're going to read the, the medical textbooks, they expect you to put on about 13 kilos. But that's not 13 kilos of baby, obviously. That's about three and a half kilos of baby. It's a liter of, of amniotic fluid. It's an increase in your blood volume. It's a placental mm. Um, weight, it's the extra weight of the uterus, it's the brown fat that you're going to put on in order for nutritional value to be available should there be some sort of calamity after the baby's born and you're needing to find nutritional um, body fat in order to make good milk. So say there's an earthquake after the baby's born, as in happened in Mexico, but apparently it was in the 70s. So there's no point in, you know, quoting that anymore, probably before you were born. <laughs> anyway, so when there was this terrible earthquake and the, um, it was actually the special care unit in a hospital that was consumed by the, by the ground. Anyway, here am I blethering. But should there be such a calamity and you are breastfeeding, say you're starving, say your husband is rubbish in the kitchen and, you know, Mr. Delivery is also disappeared. Del delayed. <laughs> yeah. For days. <laughs> yes. Then, uh, yeah. then brown fat that you have deposited yeah. in your, on your body during the pregnancy is there in order for you to make good nutritional milk for your baby. Because we don't look at that enough either. You know, mm. we... If we're going to bring women to their optimal health when they are pregnant, then they're going to not be anemic. They're going to have good quality blood, which means that's the ingredients that they're making the breast milk from. Um, and that means that they're going to have babies who are satisfied and sleep well. And, you know, so we look at one part. Are you anemic when you're pregnant? Well, you've got a low hemoglobin, but you're not really anemic. And so, you know, you're going to be fine. But we need to look 
at the postnatal period also and to see, well, how is this body going to cruise through the postnatal period mm-hmm. when you've got a baby who's possibly hungry, you've got a mother who's tired, you've got a husband who's useless, you know, and you've all got to find your way in, in the world. And it's just not okay in this modern world for dads to be useless and not to be involved mm-hmm. and not to see that this change that is coming is affecting them equally as it is affecting the mother. Mm. So how much weight should she put on? What should she eat? And is she eating for two? No, she's not eating for two in volume. Yes, she needs to eat for two in substance. Mm. Um, She needs to be careful about what she's eating. And she does need to think about her attitude to food. And she needs to look at how much weight does she think she should put on. Mums who are underweight to start a pregnancy tend to ladle on weight to start with at the beginning of a pregnancy in order to bring them up to their Mm. optimal weight for their height. And then they put on their pregnant weight. So skinny mums can get a fright if they suddenly start putting on weight. And it's not because they are eating badly. It tends to be because um, nature is putting down uh, a protective weight Mm. for the pregnancy. And then she puts on her pregnant weight after that. And those mums tend to lose it very quickly. And of course, it depends also on whether or not you're planning to breastfeed. If you're not planning to breastfeed, then the brown fat will just sit there. So the brown fat, you get pockets, cushions of brown fat on top of your hips. You get one on your sacrum and you get one at the base of your neck, but like a hump, um, which is terribly incorrect. (laughs) that are there to be used when breastfeeding interesting i know it's just totally brilliant if you think of how the body adapts to pregnancy and how we grow another human being you know i say it all the time but if men could do it you know we'd never hear the end of it Mm. (laughs) Uh, that was all music to my ears because i'm like a nutrition nerd and um there's so much research also that has gone into if a, a mother and father or just like the family history is overweight or has a, a sort of bad eating habits like fast food and all that kind of stuff, it predisposes the kid to be overweight in its teens and later life Yeah. purely just on the fact that they used to eat bad. Even if they make a change after the kid's born, he's still predisposed to those um, conditions yeah. uh, genetically. But yep. it also comes down to the shopping trolley, though, doesn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, Those people who are yeah. a little bit tubby yeah. are shopping according to the things that they like. And unfortunately, yeah. poverty is a terrible part of all yeah. of that because it's much cheaper to give your child a bag of crisps yeah. to eat than an apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because, uh, I mean, the, the saying goes that diseases run in families and so do diets. Yeah. And so you, you are what you eat. Yeah, but what a wonderful opportunity when you're pregnant to yeah. stop and consider how do we eat? How do we eat as a family? Mm. Do we eat on a Monday? Is it your turn to cook on a Monday and your turn to cook mm. on a Tuesday? Do we just follow along habits from our parents mm. when maybe our parents didn't get it right? You know, in the modern world, when so many women are working, you know, our grandmothers would have been shopping in the greengrocer and the fruit and veg guy and the, the butcher and the baker, and she would have been walking most of the day, collecting this and buying that, and then going home to make a meal from scratch, as people like to say, 
Um, and now, you know, we've got Woolworths, and so we've got ready-made, yeah. we've got the healthy, homemade yeah. shepherd's pie, which is already <laughs> processed mm. in some way. And it's just the sign of the times, really, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Quick is quick is always healthier. But we've got little children who are obese. Yeah. Look at the, the worry of children in primary school who are obese. And yeah. that's just tragic. We get less exercise. The schools have sold the sports grounds. You know, it's, uh, it's, again, an mm. interesting time we're living in. Yeah, that actually ties into the next question of how you can program a child's taste buds. And it's, it's what we've been saying. It's programmed by the diet that's existing in the household. In the pregnancy. Mm. And in the pregnancy. Yes, but also the emotional part of yeah. eating in the pregnancy. Yeah. That a woman is eating all the cheesecake mm. in the world and mm. she is comfort feeding. And if she is not have, hasn't had an opportunity to plan the pregnancy, finds out that she's pregnant, is not happy about being pregnant, mm. has the, all the emotional connection to misery, perhaps, depression in pregnancy, anxiety of money and work and in the pregnancy, then, of course, all of that goes into the child's makeup as to, well, are you going to be a comfort eater then? Yeah. Are you going to eat badly? Um, and interestingly, too, because, of course, children are tasting the amniotic fluid. So from 32 weeks, they have the sense of flavor. Yeah. So whatever she is teaching that child, she's teaching the child their normal diet yeah. in the household. So if she's teaching that child to enjoy smoothies and fresh juices and nothing that comes out of a bottle or a carton, um and good, healthy foods, then those children won't be fussy eaters. Yeah. You know, we again get into a panic about fussy eating children. He doesn't eat vegetables. Well, you know, what did you teach him? How mm. did you explore vegetables? Did you put the vegetables down on the tray so he could explore them and and find them and pick up his peas and chop up the carrots? And you know, did he have a variety of color or was it just purity out of a jar? It could be anything. Mm. Yeah, when a, a diet has got high fat, high sugar, and high salt content, of course an apple's not going to be sweet. Um, coconut's not going to be rich enough, or whatever the, the the healthier alternative is, it's never going to match up to the junk food yes. or even the, the high fat content of meat and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, the fact that we overeat to the point of saturation, mm. where we feel that if we haven't, like when you're at a braai, you yeah. know, at the end of a bri, everybody thinks, well, now I have to sleep. Yeah. And that's a normal sensation of I've eaten myself to the state of I can't move now. Yeah. And I have to sleep. And people think that's normal. Yeah. And when you get them on a, you know, my mums do a raw diet from 36 weeks. Um, and so, of course, they panic about going on to a raw diet because how am I ever going to feel full on a raw diet? But when they clean up their eating habits and they realize how enjoyable a raw diet is, <clears throat> excuse me, and how much energy they have and how so well energy, they sleep yeah. and how they have no retained water, mm. no water retention, mm. it means they're less likely to need to be induced, they're less likely to need to be augmented because mm. their bodies are elastic mm. and they work the way they are designed. They're not all edematous and puffy. Mm. Yeah. If your ankles are puffy, your thighs are puffy, and your hands are puffy, and your face is puffy, then your cervix is puffy too. 
and it's not going to be elastic and it doesn't dilate well. And again, that's one of our challenges of the modern world. Mm. But now if a woman was to crave certain things in her, in her diet, mm. so is that a sign of lacking something? If we're looking at cravings, what are cravings? There is the, I'm pregnant and you need to go and buy me <laughs> ice cream at three o'clock in the morning, craving. Yeah. And there is the need of eating the plaster out of the windows. That is a craving. Mm. Eating tar and eating stones and you know weird things those are cravings but to have a sense of now i'm pregnant and, and now an i'm going to control you <laughs> mm. yes yeah. that's that's more of an emotional mm. thing and again of course we find that if you have a balanced diet mm. then you're not going to be needing anything from a a dietary point of view mm. you can stand in that queue at Woolworths and be quite content and not have to yeah. lift the floor as to not to have to put something else in the trolley yeah interesting yeah okay so so if someone craves like bananas as an example does mm. that mean that they're lacking potassium or well not necessarily I, mean, I crave bananas all the time but I love bananas yeah, but you're not pregnant though. yes yeah. and you know you're not missing <laughs> yeah. anything yeah 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 but yeah. a fun fact, bananas aren't even the high, like even on the list of high potassium content, beans have more potassium yeah. than bananas. So do potatoes. And who craves beans? Yeah, I do. Ah. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah. Health there's nice, a yeah. side effect, of course, of bananas is mucus. Yeah. So it's also interesting to think there's no point in overdoing mm. anything. Yeah, true. That is interesting. I don't know that. Because I always thought that you're always lacking something because that is the misconception is that if you're eating soil, you're missing vitamin B. If you're, But like, like you say, if you've got a balanced diet and you're mm. ticking all the inverted commas boxes, you shouldn't, mm. you shouldn't lack, which mm. is good. But you can also do the experiment yourself. Yeah. And even if you just eat well for a yeah. week and you cut out all junk and then stand in that queue in Woolworths and see. I don't need anything here. Mm. I am yeah. fine. I yeah. am content. Take the five seconds and just ask yourself, do I really need this or is this an emotional response <laughs> yes. to me seeing that food? Yes. That or if you can call it food in most cases. <laughs> so the next misconception that we have here mm. is uh, along the lines of breastfeeding. So you mentioned that losing baby weight or baby gained weight mm. during pregnancy, you can lose that through, obviously through breastfeeding. But now, is breastfeeding, most women think that breastfeeding is sore because there's been, that like you find stories of cracked nipples, bleeding nipples, mm. and that means it's painful because if you cut your finger, it's a little bit painful and there's mm. blood. So is it a... The pain is always coming with a message, isn't it? The pain of labor is saying to you, and, and you know, there are those people who think that pain, labor is not painful, it's just powerful. And yes, it is powerful, but it's also <laughs> painfully powerful. And you know, <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is a purpose to that pain. There is a reason why your body has to say to you, there is an enormous power flowing through your body at the moment. Go somewhere safe. Go somewhere private because your baby is coming. There is the negative side of pain. Pain is always a warning of something. Something is not right. And for labor, 
the the not right would be you're in a public place or you're not safe where you are. Go somewhere because this power is going to increase and your baby's going to be born. And so you need to pay full attention. So, you know, go home and do it. Um, but the pain of cracked nipples means you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. The midwife that you're with is, uh, is not teaching you to latch the baby correctly. You know, if you look at the puppies today, um, they don't worry about cracked nipples. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't dogs get cracked nipples? Why don't cats get cracked nipples? Humans get cracked nipples because we do it wrong. Mm. A cracked nipple, a blistered nipple is telling you something is not right. Mm. And of course, unfortunately, midwives in hospitals are so overrun with lack of time and too many patients um, that very few people have time to sit mm. and show a mum how to latch a baby properly. Those of us who work independently and are fortunate enough to do so have given, have made sure that we've given up on hospital birth deliberately so that we can teach women mm. properly. And the way I teach my mums to breastfeed is to teach the dad how to latch the baby. Because a mum, first of all, has just been pregnant for nine months and she's tired and her body has been focusing on balancing two people for the last six weeks at least mm -hmm. in major uh, in a major way and then she's had to go into labor and give birth to this child and so everything i'm saying blah, 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 about breastfeeding is <laughs> what are you saying now and, and so <laughs> yeah and so i only teach her to lie down and breastfeed so that she gets more rest and she gets more sleep and to lie down and learn something new means you can't really see what's going on. If you're going to sit up and breastfeed in a tired state, you sit up to start with as a Johnson & Johnson's mum, and then you realize that this baby is heavy <laughs> and you are tired. And many people in South Africa particularly are under the influence of drugs having given birth to a baby because they've had a cesarean section. And the baby starts to flag and the mother's arms are getting tired and the baby ends up on the nipple and everybody falls asleep all broken. <laughs> Whereas if you have her lying down in a comfortable position first, she's got a pillow between her knees, she's... Uh, arranged in a way that it if and when she falls asleep um she's in a comfortable position she can just sleep the baby's on the mattress so the baby can go nowhere the baby can't start to flag at the nipple and end up on the nipple mm -hmm. um and i've been talking to midwives recently who are working in hospitals when they are teaching breastfeeding it is a matter of time in that mm. they will go in after the event and ask how long did the baby suck but the baby doesn't suck at the breast the baby suckles if it is latched mm. the baby is latched it's a vacuum seal the baby latches if you imagine the nipple is here 
we torment the baby nose and mouth with the nipple they smell the coffee first oh my goodness that is fantastic they have reflexes around their nose and mouth which make them open their mouth like a cave they come at the breast like this the jaws land at the back end of the areola here they don't meet the nipple here and go like that they come here and the gums land here the nipple itself is drawn into the back of the throat by a vacuum. It cannot be injured mm. if you're latching the baby properly. Mm. And that means that babies latch and feed and suckle for approximately 20 minutes to half an hour per feed in the first couple of days. And that means that if the baby's latched on properly, the vacuum is released at the end of a feed and the baby goes to sleep and there can be no damage mm. done if there is damage done then you need to revisit the latch technique mm. who teaches the lack the latch technique and unfortunately women first of all run into problems we don't see our mothers breastfeeding anymore we don't see our sisters breastfeeding the first person that you tend to see breastfeeding is you yeah you know nothing about it you've got no education around it and unfortunately the staff in the hospital very often are just asking so how long did the baby suck yeah and and they've got a time limit because they can't teach you for two hours they've just yeah. They haven't got exactly, they don't have the time. They've maybe got 10 minutes, or they're just doing the paperwork situation and they just want to know after the event Mm. how did the baby look. Nobody actually went in to see, well, what was the state of that latch? Was it a good latch? Is this mother feeling confident in her breastfeeding, or has she been taught from day one that this child needs a top up? You know, again, the puppies don't ever get topped up. Mm. how come they can get it right Mm. how come we can get it wrong so badly and it's something so simple but we can we know how to complicate it well it's not necessarily (laughs) it's simple once you know but breastfeeding is an art and if we were to teach our daughters and to teach our sisters life would be a lot easier breastfeeding was a lot easier Mm. in previous generations when we were just brought up to believe you're gonna breastfeed you're gonna have a baby and you're gonna breastfeed it End of story. Now we've got so much worry about, well, how do I know I can birth a baby? The doctor says I can't and I need to have a cesarean section. How do I know I can feed the baby? On day one, they said the baby wasn't getting enough to eat and had to have a top up of some formula. Formula. (laughs) Nearly said a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, never mind that a lot of formulas have ingredients in them that start heart disease in kids from a young age the infants that are um that don't make it and have had autopsies they've seen the ones specifically formula fed have already got the the starts of atherosclerosis in their arteries mm-hmm. which is scary mm-hmm. I mean, think, yeah there's a lot of bad ingredients goes yeah. into formula milk so yeah yeah it's just one scary yeah. thing and then of course it comes down to diet again because yeah. if you've got a bad diet <clears throat> and you don't look after your own body, then, you know, the stuff you're pouring into the child then is not necessarily Mm -hmm. good stuff Mm. either. No. White fat has no nutrition. Brown fat is nutritional fat. Mm. And that disappears with breastfeeding. Yeah. Burning it up as as your metabolic rate Mm. increases. So as your superpower develops, 
in order to produce milk for another human being, then so your metabolic rate increases and you burn up the brown fat. Women are amazing. We no, really this, do need This a... whole system's been designed incredibly well. It has. <laughs> like, and then we screw it up so, so quickly. Mm. Yeah. And how dare we undermine women in mm. such a way that we first of all tell them, well, you're not going to be able to vaginally birth that baby. And then we tell them, well, you can't breastfeed either. Yeah. You know, of course we're going to be depressed. I must be rubbish. I mean, how did I ever get pregnant on my own? Yeah, it's so true. That, that'll be the next step. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, there's yeah. money in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true story. True story. Mm. So you were talking about vaginal mm. birth. <laughs> yeah, there's a misconception is that you will tear. It's not will. Where, can if, I? Can't yeah. I? It's mm. when I tear. Mm. So people are generally worried about tearing during vaginal birth. And is there anything that people can do to? There are many, 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 many things that women can do. First of all, I have in my antenatal classes, I have a sensualist who comes and talks about how your oxytocin provider, because again, we're looking at the roles of each of you in the pregnancy, how each of you is going to become a parent, how each of you is going to be changed by the pregnancy and by the labor and by the postnatal period and by having children and by having an, inter, uh, uh, an um, additional member of the family, um, change is coming. And it's not okay for men to just think, oh, you know, I've got to put up with her while she's pregnant. And then, you know, I've got to mop her brow while she's in labor. And then I can resume my old life, you know, as soon as the child's up, then it's over. Mm. You know, this change that is coming is never over. Mm. Uh, what was the question and how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> if, um, is tearing a guarantee? Oh, tearing, yeah. right. So, yes, so I have a centralist then who comes to talk about the oxytocin provider and his role in the pregnancy, his role in the, in the, uh, the yeah, and in the birth. So if we look at the traditional role of men, we have always considered that they are here to, they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us, and they are our warriors and our protectors and defenders. And if he is going to pick up his traditional role, then that is one of protection and defense. And what we teach is, first of all, where oxytocin comes from. It's unfortunate that we don't learn in schools mm -hmm. how to be good lovers. We don't yeah. teach people how to open bank accounts and how to fill in your tax returns um, or anything that's really worthwhile. Uh, how to be good dads, how to be a good husband, um, and so he teaches then how to get oxytocin flowing in a woman. And I think last time we spoke about how we have natural oxytocin in labor or we have synthetic oxytocin in a labor ward. And if we're looking at natural oxytocin, that's your love hormone and it comes from your lover. Mm. And nobody teaches you how to be a good lover in school. So he talks about how we can get the blood flowing first of all to the perineum how if the blood is flowing the muscle is softer we use first of all perineal massage and it's done by your partner women who think that they can do their own perineal massage are deluding themselves because you can't work a muscle and relax it at the same time it's impossible 
But if you have a loving partner, then it opens up a whole new layer mm. to your sex life, a whole yeah. new level of discussion, of vulnerability, of trust. Um, and when the dad has done the perineal massage, we start from 28 weeks, my mum's and dad's, obvious. Um, and it's very often him then that's leaning over my shoulder when I'm checking the perineum after birth to see, well, how did I do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because, you know, it's a joint Team expression. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, it is something that you're both working very hard towards to give birth to this child. So his role in the labor is extremely important. His role in the pregnancy is extremely mm. important. And other things that we use then is if you look at the dysfunctional position that women are forced to adopt in a labor ward, mm. in a medical model yeah. of birth, they are on their backs. And if you don't mind, I just have to get my pelvis because a midwife cannot speak without her pelvis. That's perfectly fine. Thank you. Oh, wow, look at that. Yep. No, no, lost So we currently are looking at a skeleton of a pelvis. <laughs> okay, so this is a pelvis. <clears throat> and this is your sacrum and your coccyx. And your iliac crests here, these iliac bones here. When you are in labor, these bones here move sideways by two centimeters. This sacrum lifts two centimeters up, so it domes out like this. And your coccyx comes right back like that in a 90 degree angle. No way. Wow. So if you're sitting on your back, <gasps> that's gonna be or so lying painful. on a bed, when all of that is happening, and you hear women crying, my back, my back, and they're doing the, the reflex action, the expulsion reflex trying to lift themselves off the bed at the last and the midwife saying keep your bottom on the bed you can see why yeah, yeah, this yeah. is mostly dysfunctional for a woman even with a three and a half kilogram baby an average size baby trying to get this child up out of her body in an upward direction against gravity against the muscular constriction of the vagina is nigh on impossible. I salute all women who, who are successful in doing it because if we just did that and put her on her hands and knees when she's giving birth, the perineum itself is lifted mm. out of the way. You can again explore this yourself. Lie yourself on your back and explore the perineum and expand your legs, open your knees and see how all of this is brought tightly the perineum is pulled tightly across the coccyx here and the child will ramrod right through it mm. but if you're on your hands and knees and particularly so my position that i get my mum's to birth in is a tripod position where this leg is then bent her knee is out here her foot is down there and that opens this mm. even more she's got a hand available to have on her baby's head as it's coming out the baby is coming in one direction out of her body into her hands is flowing this way and towards her belly here and that's what we do so other things that we do in labor is use water mm -hmm. so she's in the pool so the muscle of the perineum is all soft 
Um, I use essential oil in the labor, uh, and I use essential oil on her perineum and hot cloths on her perineum. And then ultimately, it comes down to birthing that head slowly. So you need a one-to-one -one relationship with your caregiver. So again, the hospital labor ward is a dysfunctional thing. You meet the, the midwife if you have that joy and opportunity to have a midwife conducting your birth in a hospital. Or if it's your obstetrician, he's flying in for the last 15 minutes, the head's on the perineum, and it's just, okay, you know, I've got a clinic I'm running here, let's just get this baby out. And you're not going fast enough, and this head isn't um, progressing fast enough, I'm going to do an episiotomy, just because it's faster. Okay, yeah. But if you have a trusting relationship with your caregiver, I have my mums put their hand on that head because if you're pushing that head down, you can feel how fast it is accelerating. Or if I push like this, nothing happens. If I push like this, oh, I can feel that head coming myself. Yes, I am pushing effectively. You don't have somebody standing at the end of the bed shouting, push, 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 push. You're not pushing hard enough. You're not pushing well. You have to be part of a team this mm -hmm. is her experience and she can be encouraged to feel how you're pushing is your baby coming can you feel the progress or do you need to do something in your head that will convince you that yes I have that extra bit of courage I can do this I do need to change my my progress I need to think of something additional mm. to do that is going to make this more effective mm. and then as the head is swelling the perineum um, and the perineum starts to stretch then the midwife will slow down the action give me a big push give me a little push don't push now keep your hand on that head and feel I want you I don't want you to push now I just want you to blow and it's the contraction that will push the head over the perineum so using hot cloths using homeopathics using essential oil having done the perineal massage to start with all the preparation heat on the perineum and then confidence in mm. your midwife mm. that we're going to go slowly so until here she is now putting her hands on her <laughs> when you're pushing you're pushing hard to here yeah and then you're going slowly to here, and then you're just breathing as the contraction is pushing the head, this bit, yeah. over the perineum, as the perineum is at its thinnest. Um, and, of course, the perineum is designed to stretch. Mm. But when with a poor diet, mm. you are edematous, and the perineum is edematous, and it's all puffy and swollen. Then again, of course, it's going to tear. And because you're, you're obviously just puffing it, and it's going, it's thinning out because it's puffy. But it and can't stretch. And then you've got stretch. the pressure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like yeah. trying to push it through. Because it's a yeah. muscle, and it is elastic, okay. and it is designed to stretch. Yeah. But if it is not healthy, mm. then it's not going to stretch in the same way. That is very interesting. Everything comes back to the diet. The diet. Well, yeah, <laughs> it does, though, doesn't it? Yeah. What are we teaching our children? You know, where did you learn about diet? And so many people have learned badly about diet and want to therefore correct 
their mm. knowledge. What did you eat when you were a child? When did you change it? Was it when you were an adolescent? Did teenage awareness suddenly turn you into a vegetarian? You know, and then uh, <laughs> and now that you are responsible for somebody else's belief system about food and exercise and diet, what are you going to teach them? And is it the right thing? And is it enough? Mm. And then it's all about responsibility, isn't it? And if, if someone's fitter, so now someone's fitter, technically that means that they're healthier. Yeah. So does, well, not necessarily. Well, yeah. Okay, let's just say, what, what, let's describe fitness. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, cardiac fitness or like muscle fitness. Yeah, or... there's strength, both, fitness, isn't strength. And then yeah. there's wellness and yeah. health. Yeah. So if someone's got a very good balance in terms of fitness and health, mm. would they have an easier pregnancy than just your person who mm. does your cardio? Ah, you see, that is such an interesting question because now you have got that fitness mm. and health. Mm. So if you've got somebody who takes care of themselves but doesn't necessarily go running six times mm. a day and, you know, 40 hours a year because we need to look at both of these people there is this person who eats well who stays fit who sleeps well who drinks a lot of water mm. um, and this person who is a nerd about exercise and or is a ballerina or mm. is a gymnast or you know they've got really tight muscles mm. but are not necessarily fit they're very strong they are obsessed perhaps look at the difference between the gym fanatic and the yogi we're looking <laughs> at the yoga then mm. they are strong but they are also elastic because they are stretching through breathing mm. these lunatic fit people are not necessarily uh, elastic Mm. and so yeah you need to look at each woman's history yeah. and how she takes care of her body mm. and just how super duper over the top fit mm. she might be because of course the modern South African woman has an access to a gym very commonly she's got membership at a gym she pours herself into the gym and it doesn't mean then that pregnancy is going to be simple. And it doesn't mean that childbirth is going to be simple mm. either. If her muscles are super duper tight, mm. then yes, she might battle to get that baby out. Mm. But I've had a ballerina who was a professional ballerina. She had a four point something kilogram baby at home, no bother at all. So we have to just look at each individual mm. woman. And I suppose it's also how they prepare. They prepare for pregnancy. They don't just, they prepare for a marathon. They don't just pitch up at a marathon. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, and this is a marathon mm. labor. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Very good comparison. If you have not heard Sharon's podcasts before, that we, when we recorded the midwifery one, um, Sharon is really, really busy with all her moms, so the time that she gave us, we were super, super grateful and I hope that you got a ton of information. But stay tuned for the second one. We're really sorry we don't have visuals for the next one. But enjoy! <laughs>